It's the 9th of January, 2016, and this is episode 277. This show is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Cryptocurrency is new, exciting, and empowering, but we're not experts, just obsessed companions walking the road towards a more peer-to-peer future. Hi, and welcome to Let's Talk Bitcoin, the longest-running English-language podcast focused on the ideas, people, and projects behind Bitcoin, tokens, and the cryptocurrency revolution. My name is Adam B. Levine, and today I'm pleased to be joined by the other hosts of Let's Talk Bitcoin, Stephanie Murphy. Hey! And Andreas Antonopoulos. Hello! Since the beginning, LTB has been a twice-weekly show. In the early days, there was so much to talk about, it sometimes seemed like two shows a week wasn't enough. But as the years have passed, we've settled into a somewhat less innovative routine, mainly consisting of interviews with companies seeking awareness for the innovative things that they're doing. At the same time, as the LTB network has grown, we've seen a dramatic increase in the amounts and types of high-quality audio content that LTB was created to provide. So, in this year of 2016, we're going to try something a little bit different. Effective immediately, the Let's Talk Bitcoin show will be publishing new episodes only once per week, on Saturdays. Each month, we'll run four different types of episodes. The first are monthly BIP episodes, where we'll learn about and discuss Bitcoin improvement proposals of interest for those that are likely to become interesting in the near future. We'll have one episode per month focused on exploring and discussing cryptocurrency-related news and current events. Once per month, we'll have a guest host join Stephanie, Andreas, and I for a group interview or deep dive into their story or project. And one episode per month will be devoted to my obsession with tokens built on cryptographic blockchains and some of the amazing possibilities they present even beyond our current horizons. As always, comments, thoughts, or complaints can be sent to adam at letstalkbitcoin.com. On today's episode, we're going to be exploring a Bitcoin improvement proposal called Segregated Witness. Andreas, let's start with the basics. What problem is Segregated Witness aiming to solve? Well, Segregated Witness popped out of the scaling Hong Kong uh, workshop, but um, actually was in development for quite some time. And I believe Peter Wola was developing it on the sidechains alpha project. So um, it's, it's actually a combination of different features, which all come under this funny name that really, really confuses everyone. And I'm going to try on this episode to untangle some of this and, and talk about segregated witness. Essentially, segregated witness is three different things, but before I dive into that, I'd like to start with a name. As with many things in Bitcoin, it's a terrible name. <laughs> it's confusing, and it doesn't really tell you what it is. It's, uh, it's really a name that appeals to um, an engineering approach and uh, leaves anybody who's not got a deep technical background absolutely in the dark about what this is. So segregated witness really just means separated signatures. And if you call it separated signatures, maybe that makes it a bit easier to understand. And the reason it's been named segregated witness is because in in Bitcoin and in cryptographic systems in general, a signature is a form of cryptographic proof. Cryptographic proofs are also called witnesses. So what this is really about is segregating the cryptographic proof or signature part of a transaction into a separate data structure or moving signatures out of transactions. So that's what segregated witness is. It's separating the signatures out of transactions 
and keeping a, se a separate uh, data repository of the signatures, essentially, and making them optional in the propagation and storage. This has a number of important implications. And initially, it was about really restructuring the architecture of a transaction to gain a few benefits. But then the author of this capability, Peter Walla, realized that this could have a pretty significant implication on scaling because signatures are the biggest part of the transaction. And this could offer a potential solution or stopgap solution to the scaling problem. And then the whole segregated witness saga suddenly became very hot when Luke Dash Jr., another core developer, suggested a very nifty trick that would allow segregated witness to be implemented as a soft fork instead of a hard fork. And that actually opened the door to a whole lot of uh, new capabilities. So all of these things happened very, very quickly. And now there's quite a bit of momentum behind segregated witness because it, it creates opportunities for a lot of really, really cool innovation. So the first thing that comes to mind when you start talking about separating signatures from the core transactions that, you know, that they're associated with is, does that not have an implication for security? Are there not uh, downsides? Because the, the signature itself is the actual, uh, the execution, right? It's, it's the proving that the person who's making the transaction actually has the authority to make the transaction. So how can you separate the authority to make the transaction from the transaction itself in a decentralized system? You're separating it only in that the signatures are not transmitted as part of the data structure of the transaction, but they are transmitted alongside the transaction in a separate data structure. And, and what that means is that nodes that wish to validate signatures do so, and nodes that do not wish to validate signatures don't have to. Even more importantly, they don't need to download the data if they're not validating signatures. And you'll be surprised to know that uh, many nodes don't validate signatures. In fact, if you start a standard core reference client and you build the blockchain from the Genesis block, it's not actually validating all of the signatures because it's validating the transactions, it's validating the Merkle root, it's validating the blocks, the difficulty and the chain, but it's not validating the signatures. And, and the reason for that is, is really quite simple because the validation of signatures happens um, for every transaction um, when it's included in a block. And uh, that that really determines whether the transaction is valid and also whether the block is valid. But once a transaction is included in a block, um, the signatures are now really quite irrelevant. Um, and, and yet they take up almost 75% of the blockchain. So um, let me give you an example. Uh, I think this is perhaps the analogy that I find the easiest to, to help me understand it. Uh, in the US, we use uh, paper checks quite a lot. And when you sign a paper check, right, um, you'll get a transaction in your bank statement. And in most online banking systems today, you can also click on that transaction and you can view the actual physical check. Uh, so you can see a scanned image of the check. In the old days, you could basically go to your bank and request them to send you a copy of the check by mail once it had been endorsed and deposited. Um, and in online systems, you can see a copy of the check. 
So think of that as the witness part. Um, and really, your bank statement itself is still robust, even if you don't view all of the images of the checks. Um, you may want to validate that the check was really signed by you and look at the image if there's a dispute or proof selectively, but you don't really depend on you know, the balance of your bank account and the statement of your bank account and, and the transactions don't really depend on having a scanned image of, of the actual signature that you applied to a check. Same thing with credit card slips, right? They only come into play uh, during disputes. Um, and so rather than those check images or credit slips being part of your bank statement, they're actually separated. And, and segregated witness is about doing the same thing uh, to Bitcoin. It doesn't really have an impact on security, but it has a significant impact on the ability of nodes to scale the blockchain because it, it it means that signatures that only really need to be validated when a transaction is first presented for inclusion in the blockchain don't need to be carried around by nodes that are not interested in validating them uh, further. Okay, so because the process of having a, a transaction confirmed is essentially validating everything that came before it because it was all validated in previous blocks, then so long as you have that single validation, then the signature kind of becomes irrelevant so long as that block remains valid. If the block is no longer valid, then you need the signature, but other than that, it's, it's kind of moot, is what you're saying. It's, it's only relevant for historical purposes, and nodes that choose to uh, can choose to collect and store signatures. But for most nodes, um, the, the validation of signatures is, is something that is part of the a fully validating node or a mining node and not part of the normal wallet function. Uh, and you would only do it for new transactions uh, that you um, basically receive and relay. Uh, so it might make sense, for example, to validate signatures when you're relaying transactions, um, but then not actually store them in the blockchain once they're included in blocks. So why why isn't that already the way that we do things? Um, was it you know at an earlier time was every everybody expected to be validating signatures all the time and that just kind of didn't pan out the way that that we thought it might have or is this sort of hey we can do this we didn't think we could do this before? Well, among other things, it's because in order to for historical reasons, you know that's just the way the Bitcoin was implemented and. Uh, Bitcoin was certainly not implemented in an ideal way. It it has lots of little warts and barnacles on it from the early days, and a lot of assumptions made in the beginning perhaps are not quite true today. But until now, the problem was that to fix something as deeply embedded in the way the system works as the validation of signatures, you would need to do a hard fork. And a hard fork is basically a... Um, forwards incompatible and backwards incompatible uh, change to the protocol that requires and forces everyone to upgrade, otherwise they get uh, knocked off uh, from validating the, the leading chain. First of all, we should explain what is the difference between a soft fork and a hard fork, and how it could segregated witness be implemented not using a hard fork but a soft fork. So this is where things get interesting, and honestly, I think we should dedicate a follow-up show on specifically the what is a soft fork, what is a hard fork, and what is the difference between them, because this is a both a highly contentious issue, it's a very complicated technical issue, but if you think about it this way, um, briefly, 
Bitcoin requires upgrades like any piece of software. The difference is that Bitcoin is a cryptographically audited system, and therefore, when you make changes to the software, uh, that affects the ability to audit. And so, um, the the real problem is that you you can't make changes without having consensus. There's two ways to do that. One is to force everyone back into consensus by obsoleting previous versions of the software. They can no longer validate blocks or transactions because they see something that they don't understand unless they upgrade. So, for example, if you introduce a new feature, that feature is not understood by an older version of the software. The older version of software will not be able to validate the transaction. Or the block. As soon as you can't validate a single transaction or block that everybody else can, you're off the chain. Basically, everything grinds to a halt. You can no longer continue to follow the consensus chain. You will get stuck on that one transaction, um, and you will be forked off the chain. So that effectively is the is the challenge with Bitcoin. A soft fork isn't really a fork. It's a way of making changes within Bitcoin in such a way that they are forwards compatible, meaning that old clients don't see them. Um, they see the transaction as valid without taking into consideration the new feature, and they can continue processing. They're simply validating um, less about the transaction if they don't upgrade. All of this kind of works on the assumption that people aren't going to upgrade. Um, is that a safe assumption? I mean, like, is the, is there a reason for the reticence around hard forks compared to soft forks? Because it seems like certainly hard forks are very controversial, and soft forks, while perhaps they have less ability to change how things are done, less dramatically, uh, are are not as controversial. So, I mean, like, is this actually a big deal? It's it's a huge deal, and that's probably left for a follow-on show. But the bottom line is that a hard fork means that anybody who doesn't upgrade is not only unable to continue processing uh, transactions, but um, if they are not aware that uh, this hard fork occurred or haven't upgraded, and they're using their system to validate payments to themselves, they can be cheated out of money. Uh, so the implications of being on the wrong fork during a hard fork event, uh, where some clients do not upgrade, you can actively attack those nodes by presenting them with transactions that they can't validate in such a way that they see one version of the transaction while the rest of the network sees another, and you can steal money from them. So that's the big challenge. Um, and so a hard fork requires everyone to upgrade if they want to continue to securely process Bitcoin transactions. Uh, and that's a pretty high standard, which is why they're contentious. Uh, a soft fork does not require everyone to um, upgrade and provides fewer opportunities, some say, um, to, to basically fool an old client into accepting a transaction they shouldn't accept. Okay, so back to segregated witness. Um, the core of this is separating what is right now one data structure, right? So you've got the transactions and you've also got the signatures all being wrapped up into these blocks and you're taking out the signatures, putting it, them into their own type of structure that you can then look over, you know, you can look at a, a signature on, uh, you know, on this new side and correspond it to or, or correlate it to um, a transaction that happened on this other side. So how, how is that being done? Why does that matter? Why is this better? Well, uh, perhaps it helps to describe uh, segregated witnesses as three 
um, three things coming together at once, and, and all of them are referred to as segregated witness, but they're actually three different things. The first one is, is purely the separation of signatures from transactions, and originally this was intended as a fix for transaction malleability, uh, another favorite topic of ours, which we've talked about many times on this show. Um, Peter Walla has also been the author of uh, BIP62, which was a transaction malleability fix, but because of the complexity of implementing that, it was eventually abandoned. Um, and instead pursued segregated witness to fix transaction malleability once and for all by addressing the root cause of the problem. And the root cause of transaction malleability is that while every other part of the transaction is included in the signature calculation and therefore cannot be modified unless you have the private key with which you've made the signature, so a third party can't create malleable transactions on malleating anything uh, that is not part of the signature, the signature itself isn't part of the signature. Uh, and it can't be. You, you can't summarize the signature and then sign it with itself, because that signature then changes itself, which would then need to be summarized and signed with itself. It's, it's a onion problem. right? You keep going down layers and layers. It's a, you, you cannot sign a signature. Right, so the signature really um, includes a fingerprint of everything else in the transaction, but the signature itself is not part of that fingerprint. Which means you can do some little tricks to change the signature in a way that still keeps it valid, but changes the fingerprint of the transaction, and that's transaction malleability. Well, there's a lot of ways to fix that, and BIP62 attempted to fix that by trying to find all of the ways that you could change a signature. Um, but segregated witness does something much better. What it does is it takes the signature out of the transaction. Now, the transaction ID, the hash of the transaction, the fingerprint, um, is only the parts that are already included in the signature and therefore cannot be modified. And the signature is no longer part of the transaction ID. If you take the signature out of the transaction ID, um, malleability pretty much goes away completely. Okay, and so it goes away completely because that was the one part that was messing it up so that you couldn't actually sign that in a way that was definitive. There was always going to be more than one potential output that could, or more than one potential fingerprint that could come from that because you had this kind of element that had to be added in after the, after the fingerprint itself had been taken. So by separating that onto its own structure and getting it entirely out of the transaction, the problem goes away entirely since the transaction can just be the transaction, its fingerprint can always be the same. Exactly, because the transaction now is simply a, a state transition within the UTXO database set. What it means is it simply shows you the transition of old UTXO into new UTXO without the signatures, and that is simply um, an old state to new state transition, which is fingerprinted, and that won't change. As long as it's the same inputs, the same outputs, it has a well-defined, predictable, and unmalleable transaction ID. And that's a pretty big deal. Um, so it has a, a benefit, but uh, this was expected to only be possible as a hard fork. You would have to change everybody's way of validating transactions. And then uh, Luke Dash Jr. invented this trick 
that would allow you to introduce this feature by soft fork. And this opens the door for a bunch of other things, including using segregated witness as a soft fork now to change the scalability issue. So let's talk about that. Um, essentially, this is kind of compressing the amount of data that could be used to validate and record the same transactions having segregated witness in there effectively increasing the amount of capacity on the blockchain is that an accurate summary it's not compressing it's simply um counting things differently so what it does is this um an old client that hasn't upgraded will look at a transaction without signatures and see something that is on average 50 to 75 percent smaller uh, and it will evaluate the block size limit based on that. A new client that has upgraded to understand segregated witness will see the segregated witness, um, the signature information as a separate data structure, and will still count it uh, for purposes of the block size, but at a discounted rate, uh, which uh, is to essentially allow for more space to be used by that, since it's an optional component and can be dropped by many clients. All clients still have a one megabyte limit, but what they're counting as part of that one megabyte limit is a transaction without signatures. Uh, and that means the transaction is 50 to 75% smaller, which means that the block uh, effectively can fit uh, three or four times more transactions than it could before. Okay, so basically it's not compressing any data, it's just essentially the signature is no longer counting towards the size of the block, the data that can fit in the block for old clients. And for new clients, the signature is counting, but at a discounted rate of a 75% discount to, to reflect um, the, 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 the opportunity to prune that data from certain nodes. And so what this does effectively is if you introduce this, it, it, if all of the clients start implementing segregated witness transactions, and this is a big if, which we'll get to in a second, uh, the effective block size ends up being somewhere around three to four megabytes. I'm trying to think like, with the current volume of transactions that's going on in the Bitcoin network, and with uh, taking into account like the historical fluctuations in the amount of transaction volume on the Bitcoin network, is this going to bottom line make a difference if we have a lot of nodes who are doing segregated witness transactions? Is that going to give a significant scaling effect to Bitcoin? Or is it like kind of a temporary solution that'll work for now and then we'll cross that bridge when we come to it later? What do you think? Segregated witness is part of a roadmap proposal that has now been signed by 30 or 40 core developers. And this roadmap proposal suggests using segregated witness as a stopgap measure, which um, with the right incentives, and I'll get to that in a second, creates effectively a three to four uh, fold increase in capacity. So an immediate increase in capacity for anyone using segregated witness transactions, they effectively see uh, both a drop in transaction fees and more block availability for their transactions um, immediately, as soon as this is implemented. And at the rate it's going, I would not be surprised if it's implemented within the first quarter of 2016. Now, um, 
right after that, uh, additional efforts to implement things like uh, invertible bloom filters, which we talked about as a scaling solution with Gavin Andreessen on this show about a year ago, um, together with weak blocks, which is another uh, possible way of optimizing block propagation to, to remove some of the scaling impact uh, on mining and fully validating nodes. And finally, uh, a proposal to uh, increase the block size um, after 2016 uh, with one of the alternative BIPs that have been in introduced for a hard fork. So essentially what it's doing is it's giving breathing room, that's the proposal, to, to still do a hard fork for a block size increase, but later, uh, about a year later, while in the meantime giving us uh, a practical uh, three times to four times increase in capacity. So this is, I mean, effectively, uh, like very much like uh, an increase to the block size, just in reverse. It's reducing the amount that we count as being included in a block because some of it can be excised. So that part that can be excised, is it actually going? I'm, I'm, can, where is it actually going? Where are these signatures actually being stored? Are they just floating around the internet, you know, by announcement, or are, do they actually go into the block? But we just don't count them. So what this does, among other things, and, and by the way, this is not a proposal. The, the segregated witness testnet segnet was launched today. Um, there is a testnet that implements segregated witness and segregated witness transactions. The um, pull request and, and patch for segregated witness has been um, around for a couple of months now and is being tested. And a number of developers are working on this, including wallet providers. So this is very real. It's happening and it, it's in testing right now. Um, essentially what it does among other things is it changes, uh, or it adds some capabilities to the peer to peer network so that when you, uh, propagate a transaction, you can request transactions. Um, and if you request transactions the old way, you get the transactions without signatures, but you can now request transactions with signatures by changing your request to say, I want transactions with witness. Um, old clients that haven't upgraded will just say, I want transaction X, and we'll get a transaction without the witness. They won't know it's without a witness. Uh, that's the soft fork trick that we'll talk about in a second. <clears throat> New clients have the option now to request transactions to be relayed to them with witness or without witness. And um, then they can decide to store it in the blockchain or not store it in the blockchain, depending on how much disk space they want to use. And you can take that into consideration for the pruning mechanism. Um, obviously, if you're uh, a miner, uh, in order to maintain consistency with a chain, you will want to get transactions with witness. Because if you go validate a transaction without the witness and the witness tend turns out to be false, you'll accept a transaction that is uh, invalid, you'll try to put it in a block, and then that block will be invalid and you'll lose your reward. So you you go you drift out of consensus if you don't validate fully. Uh, we saw that with the SPV mining um, issue a couple of months ago when some miners were not validating fully and they got penalized by losing reward because they drifted out of consensus. So miners will want transactions with witness, they'll be upgrading to, to adopt that. Uh, and of course, because this is a soft fork, it will involve the, the typical um, voting mechanism where uh, miners um, use the block versioning in order to signal their acceptance. And once the threshold is, is crossed, the, the feature becomes active. 
And then uh, once uh, the second threshold is crossed, usually 90 or 95 percent, the feature becomes enforced. Today's episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin is brought to you by My Mind to Matter Music Project. For the last few months, I've been building what we'll call quirky instrumental music that takes the recursive loops out of my head and puts them into a format in which you can hear them. Today, I'm pleased to announce my first public release. You can visit letstalkbitcoin.com marketplace and click music to find a little color EP, which features five songs plus a bonus loopable version in DRM-free downloadable format, available for LTB coin, Bitcoin, early, or other valuable tokens. We're currently listening to track two, The Banana Stands Lament. It seems like I've been talking about artist coins for years. By the end of this month, I'll have my music creation blog set up, and it'll invite you to support and participate in my process really as never before. Depending on if and how deeply you want to be involved, you'll be able to buy a token that gives you access to my entire body of work, or download a DRM-free album, or even listen in to multiple early versions of each new song, with the ability to provide feedback and weigh in before release. A little color EP is available at letstalkbitcoin.com marketplace in the music section. And of course, you can always email me at adam at letstalkbitcoin.com. And today's magic word is mind. That's M-I-N-D. Mind. You've got until the 16th of January to visit letstalkbitcoin.com or the Let's Talk Bitcoin iOS app to enter it for your share of the listener rewards. Back to the show. So why did no one think of this before now? <laughs> why is this just coming out? We just had this huge debate about the block size, right? We, we had Bitcoin XT and the possibility of this hard fork and everyone was freaking out. Why was this not suggested earlier? Well, even even though it's being suggested now, don't don't assume that that solves the scaling issue. I mean, I'm really really interested in segregated witness for everything else it does apart from scaling. And and honestly, if you look at at segregated witness, its primary reason for existence is not to solve the scaling problem. It just happens to also solve the scaling problem, which is why there's a lot of interest in it. Um, or at least it, it provides a stopgap solution. There's a lot of uh, contention around that even. Uh, a lot of people think that you shouldn't try to solve the scaling problem with a soft fork uh, because that dilutes some of the incentives uh, for nodes. You, um, you know, There's a lot of people who think that this stopgap measure is just kicking the can down the road and really we should be talking about doing a hard fork block size limit increase. Well, from a block size perspective, it does seem like this is pretty much, like I said earlier, this is very analogous to just increasing the block size to four megabytes. It's not that different from that. Well, that is if all transactions are segregated transaction, right? Segregated witness transactions, which requires all wallets to start producing segregated witness transactions. Um, and which involves some complex re-implementation. And so one of the arguments against this is, listen, not only is this a stopgap, but also it's much more complex than a hard fork. And um, the proponents say, well, yes, but it's much less dangerous than a hard fork. And if you have a wallet, you are incentivized to create segregated witness transactions because the moment you do that, you get a 75% discount on fee. So the incentives are aligned with creating this, and a lot of wallet 
um, providers have uh, pledged support to doing segregated witness transactions because uh, you give the users a 75% discount on fees. Uh, so the natural alignment of incentives is neat, uh, but at the same time, this does require some heavy lifting from a lot of wallet providers to change code to produce transactions differently. And this affects every single library that produces and signs transactions. So miners too, and all the wallet providers? Well, miners will, would have to upgrade in order to vote for the soft fork for it to go into activation. So assuming that that election uh, goes forward. But since miners have already indicated their desire to have um, bigger blocks, it, I would be surprised if this didn't go through pretty quickly. It, it's in the it's in the interest of miners to do this because it it allows them to um, to propagate blocks without uh, signature information, and at the same time uh, to increase the scale of the block. Economically, wouldn't it sort of balance out? Like, for example, if we have a larger block, more trans or effectively larger block, more transactions can fit within the block, but the transaction fees are also going to be lower. I, f I feel like it'll reach an equilibrium as far as the transaction fees that the miners get. There might be other benefits to the miners, right, from adopting this, but they're also going to have to upgrade and probably change some stuff, right? Correct. Yes. Um, so, so it 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 involves upgrading all of the mining nodes, uh, and that's part of the voting process. The miners have to single signal the intent to upgrade by changing block version using the standard voting, or perhaps using version bits, um, which allows multiple parallel soft forks. But this is a soft fork upgrade, which means it will have a voting threshold. We'll we'll see it deploy. Uh, a, a recent reference to that would be check lock time verify BIP uh, sixty five, which which deployed in in much the same way. Uh, it was presented to the miners. The miners uh, upgraded, and by switching block version to four, they indicated consent. After seventy five percent of the miners, uh, the feature was activated. After ninety five percent, it was enforced. And now check lock time verify is part of the system. Um, so yes, it will require that. It will also require upgrades by all of the wallet providers, many of whom have indicated their uh, commitment to implementing this as quickly as possible and have already started implementations. Uh, five or six wallets have already implemented it. Um, but you know that leaves a lot of wallets, and you know some wallets maybe the code isn't maintained very actively. Maybe the code is very complex. Um, implementing this is going to be um, not very easy. The good news is, being a soft fork, you can still do old style transactions. You're just going to have to pay um, the fees to get them included. So you you face that additional cost. So this is a soft fork, which means that only certain types of users, like miners, have to actually proactively make the change, and then it kind of just happens to everybody else in the network. One of the things that you mentioned earlier is that um, if you don't upgrade and you don't make a special type of request, then you're just going to receive these transactions without the signature information that to this point has been part and parcel with these transactions. Um, are there no negative reper repercussions for that or any concerns um, about just like removing that data? Or is it just basically excising data that hasn't ever been useful? We just didn't have the ability to excise it before. 
Well, again, the main, uh, yes, the, there are some negative implications, and, and this is where the trick comes in. So let me talk about the trick, because this is where things get really interesting. So the trick in, invented by, by Luke Dash Jr. is, is a way of uh, changing the uh, script, the script SIG um, inside a transaction, so that to old nodes, a transaction appears to have a blank signature, but the transaction also appears to be a SIG hash anyone can pay transaction. And what that means is that to, to those who have not upgraded, it looks like the transaction is unsigned, but that empty signature is valid for that transaction, because the transaction is one that can be redeemed by anyone. So it makes transactions look like they can be redeemed by anyone, which means effectively that uh, nodes that do not upgrade um, are no longer validating signatures. Uh, but in many cases, that was the case already. So, so what? So what you mean by this is that um, uh, is that they will just accept anything as valid that comes in under this this new thing, and that doesn't matter because they weren't actually checking what they could have been checking before. Because that's the whole thing about being a light note is that you're not doing this checking. Well, even more specifically, they will accept nothing as being a valid because nothing is the signature. There will be nothing in the signature. It will be empty. Ah. And but these transactions are now appear as transactions where nothing is a valid signature. Uh, that's what a sick hash anyone can pay transaction is. And the really neat trick is that this comes with a, another major change, which is that from now on, uh, transaction scripts, which are the script pub key, which is the script that tells you how this transaction is unlocked, uh, the scripting language within Bitcoin will now have a version prefix, and this version prefix is what um, allows uh, new new clients who have upgraded to the SegWit proposal soft fork to identify this as being a SegWit transaction and to then evaluate the script differently and look for the for the segregated witness information in the other data structure. But the big deal here is that. Up until now, Bitcoin has had block versions and transaction versions. So you can upgrade blocks to a new version. That's how we introduce softworks. You can upgrade transactions to a new version. But until now, the script language could not be upgraded. There was only one script language, the script language. And unless you had uh, an operator to override within the script language, which is what CLTV did, for example, it. it uh, overrode something that had no meaning in the past, and now it has meaning as CLTV, you're pretty much stuck within the constraints. Once you have a versioning uh, on the script language, that means that you can say, well, if, if you understand script version 0 or script version 1, you can validate it. If you see a script that says it's script version 2, and you don't understand script version 2, you accept it without validating the script. Um, and that then gives you the ability to do soft fork upgrades on any part of the scripting language, which is huge. So the trick used to implement SegWitness opens the door to the ability to do soft forks on any part of the scripting language, um, and use the version bits technology to do multiple in-flight, in-parallel soft forks directly to the scripting language.
And I can't emphasize how big this is. So let's talk about a specific example, if you can think of something that, that would fit that kind of description. Um, what, what's an example of something, uh, whether from this or not, that would be a change to the scripting language that would be beneficial to do through this method, that we, or that we previously couldn't do in this way? Well, let's look at two examples of things that already happened um, directly in this space. Um, things like uh, soft forks we did before, like check clock time verify, um, they required overriding a specific uh, NOP or no operation uh, script operand. Um, basically, blank spaces within the scripting language that were available for future upgrades. But we're running out of those, and that's a big problem. Um, the other problem is that um, some changes require uh, complex uh, changes to the existing script operators, so semantic changes. Um, let's take one example. When you do a signature on a hardware wallet, like a Trezor, one of the big problems with that, and one of the weaknesses, is that you cannot validate the input values. Um, because the input values are not part of the transaction, which means that you either have to blind sign uh, transactions without knowing what the input values or the fees are, or uh, you have to push uh, the actual previous transactions um, to the hardware device, all of the previous transactions whose inputs are referenced, um, in order to do the signature uh, correctly. Now, that's been a bit of a problem. And the reason that's a problem is because the signature doesn't sign the value of the input. It only signs the source of the input. Um, that would be something we'd like to change. Well, uh, two days ago, someone proposed a new BIP, uh, which uses this new script versioning feature to change the semantics of opCheckSig, which is the workhorse of Bitcoin. The, it's the script operand that checks signatures in such a way as to change the signature operation from applying just on the input index to instead also having the input value. This also introduced another change, which is that previously the signature was calculated on information about the previous transactions in such a way that if you had a very large number of signature operations within a transaction, um, it could cause a client to have to recalculate a hash thousands and thousands or even hundreds of thousands of times in order to validate a signature. Uh, this was in fact um, exploited with a, with a transaction that was created on purpose to cause a 25 second validation um, by forcing the validating client to do hundreds of thousands of signature uh, hashes in order to validate the signature. So, um, this new soft fork proposal not only changes object sig to include the input value, which helps hardware wallets and which has been a feature desired for a very long time, it also changes the check sig to be a two-stage thing where first some information is hashed and then the signature is validated in such a way that um, if you have lots of signature operations, they can reuse the first stage and not redo the hashes. That changes from an O n squared, order n squared operation to a linear order n operation, which is a very big deal. Uh, it removes a number of potential denial of service vectors. So again, um, within just a month of this trick being introduced for script versioning, two features that had been very difficult to fix 
in existing capabilities in the script can now be fixed with a soft fork, um, and a full reference implementation already exists. This is a very big deal. So you mentioned that um, the least interesting part about this is the uh, is the the scaling argument, basically saying that this also winds up being kind of a stopgap for the scaling problem because effectively it lets us expand uh, how much we can actually put into these blocks without having to do a hard fork and leaves the hard fork option available for later. Um, you know, so are there any other things about this where you know people are talking about it because uh, you you've hit pretty much all the things that uh, that I've seen get talked about with the exception of fraud proofs fraud proofs are are another interesting possibility that's opened up but i i just wanted to add one or two more things about the script versioning capability because what this is going to do is it's going to enable a massive acceleration in the innovation um, the complexity as well as the capabilities of features being added to core in a non-disruptive manner. Um, here's another example. Uh, yesterday, uh, a proposal was introduced that allows you to port confidential transactions into Bitcoin Core as a soft fork. And, and again, that's mind-blowing. Um, confidential transactions, for those who don't know, is an invention by Greg Maxwell that was implemented in Sidechains Alpha that allows you to have encrypted values in the transaction. If you combine that with CoinJoin, you have uh, a fully fungible transaction layer in Bitcoin, which has been a holy grail for privacy advocates for since the very beginning and considered one of the weaknesses of Bitcoin. Now you can do confidential transactions, not just as a sidechain, but you can implement it in core as a soft fork. Um, and this is because of the script versioning capability. Um, so, so again, showing you the enormous power. Uh, the um, the two-way peg that would enable you to fully implement sidechains, which up to now um, was a sticking point, and is why sidechains um, are effectively using a trick with trusted federated servers in order to do the two-way peg. Now you can do sidechains two-way peg as a soft fork in Bitcoin Core and fully implement two-way peg sidechains. So, in fact, what this means is that sidechains become a development sandbox and playground for testing new features. And once you have these features tested, you don't even need to implement them only as a sidechain. You could bring them into core for many of the features that we're looking at. So you're expecting to see segregated witness this quarter? I'm expecting to see segregated witness this quarter, and then I'm expecting to see an absolute explosion, together with the implementation of version bits that allows us to run uh, dozens or perhaps hundreds of soft forks in parallel. Uh, we're going to see a massive acceleration in the innovation and the core capabilities of the scripting language in Bitcoin. Uh, this is going to be a very, very exciting year, and, and scalability is, is not even the tip of the iceberg with this. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin. This episode featured content from Andreas Antonopoulos, Stephanie Murphy, and Adam B. Levine. This episode featured music from Jared Rubens and Mind to Matter. Any questions or comments? Email adam at letstalkbitcoin.com. Have a good one. <laughs>